Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash westwood1. All lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash westwood1 now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash westwood1. This message is intended as a reminder that we are not licensed professionals, not psychiatrists or psychologists. If you have a serious problem, please seek professional help. The National Suicide Hotline is 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-8255. Mic check one, two. <clears throat> Mic check one, two. Hearing all these letters read aloud by damsels not in distress. Host came to impress. Bitch, check your DMs. This is hot off the press. Good morning. How are you, Miss Birthday Girl? You just had a birthday. I did, yes. Um, it was really nice. Um, went to the Hamptons with Brian and a couple close friends, and everyone got tested before. I have my Rite Aid negative test. I got one before and after. Let me just plug the Rite Aid drive through real quick. I am in love. If I could get a COVID test every day, I would. Thank you to my friends who all got tested and allowed me to have a great birthday. And I got to see Brian for the first time, so that was great. Um, and it was still great because I think like what's been so great for me about my relationship with Brian is how welcomed he's always made me feel with his friends. And Brian and I are both very social people. Um, and this time like during COVID has been a little bit difficult for me because I feel like I'm an extroverted introvert, if that makes sense. Like I love people and I definitely get, um, energy from being with people, but I'm also like so close to my parents and I love just being at home actually extroverted homebody I feel like is probably what the better thing is for it yeah it was really special because I do feel like with this time COVID because I haven't been able to uh, be around people in the way that I was before I spend a lot of time ruminating like on the past and in this episode we're about to talk a lot about people pleasing tendencies and I've definitely had a lot of people pleasing tendencies um and you know just spending a lot of time thinking about the past thinking about things that like regret or wish that didn't happen and birthdays are just so nice because you get to feel loved by so many people and you know just hearing like what you mean to people and how you've impacted them I feel like during this time of COVID has been so nice for me just to feel um you know like cared about um and it allowed my mind to sort of like take a deep breath and say like yeah, we do have a lot more time to think than we normally do, but, um, you know, we're still cared about at the end of the day and you can move on with a clear conscience in life. And you, how has the dating game been? Educate us all. I've been kind of off of it because um, it's just been uh, exhausting and we've had, you know, a lot of work to do on the podcast. I've had a lot of work to do at my regular job and 
I actually did, was it last week I did like two FaceTime dates, I think. And honestly, I know it sounds really mean, but the guy into the phone and I just was like, I don't care about you. It sounds really mean, but it's just like, it felt like it was going to be a lot of energy to be like, how are you? Like, what do you do for work? And like, it just, I, I don't know. I just haven't really been into it. I haven't really been on the app. Yeah. But was it him or just like you not wanting to spend the energy? Well, he had literally just answered the phone, so I don't care. <laughs> but I did, okay, there was this residual guy. That's such a bad way to describe him. But I met him on an app a little while ago and we had a FaceTime date. And I just was like, you're the hottest person I've seen in a while. I don't know if it was quarantined or he looks like Cillian Murphy, the actor. Anyway, I kind of like idolized him. Did you ever feel that way like about like actors or anything like that? Who are your actor people that you like? Zach Efron. Love him. That's so basic. But it's the truth. It's just <laughs> the honest truth. Yeah, I know people like Timothy Chalamet. I like him, but not not the way I like Zach Efron. Okay, anyway. Um so we were texting after that, and it kind of fell off. I never do this. I don't know if I recommend it or not. I mean, maybe I do, because I had a positive result. Um, we kind of fell off texting, and I waited, like, a week or so. I didn't really have intentions to do this. Just one day, I was like, hey, like, you know, I did think you were cute. We talked about going on a hike. You know, maybe we could still do that if you're interested. And I accidentally, accidentally texted him on his birthday. He was oh. like, the best birthday text ever. And I was like, wow didn't know it was a birthday he's a fellow cancer um so yeah he was visiting his family he was like okay I'll be back soon we should go on this hike we went on the hike Wednesday and he just okay so we're both wearing masks obviously where is the hike oh sorry Runyon Canyon it's right by my house so we both wore masks and it was fine I know this sounds bad but like I swear I'm not an alcoholic, but I do kind of like to have like a drink or two on the date because it's just it's an awkward like first dates are awkward and it's like yeah yeah so we hiked and it was fine yeah he took me up and then he took me like on this one I thought we were gonna do the basic like paved one yes like the basic bitch hike <laughs> okay um, I just can't be called basic for Zach Efron if you're over here doing the paved <laughs> part of Runyon. Yeah, that's on period. You're correct. Um, <laughs> yeah, he took me, he tried to take me like off roading almost, like on this like very steep, weird hike thing. And I was like, in the middle of it, I was like, oh, I just got these shoes and they weren't him. They were like cute shoes. And uh, he's like, oh, let me see the trip. And I was like, I showed him the trip. And he was like, yeah, that's, uh, we shouldn't do it. We shouldn't do this. I was like, okay, well, I, I, we're halfway up this goddamn hill. And then he was like, well, let's not do this. And I was like, okay. And then we went down and did the regular one. I was like, was that like a diss of like, I can't do this hike? Because I could. I thought we were doing a casual hike, whatever. Anyway, so yeah, we were wearing our masks. And he kind of like in the beginning, like when we were like approaching each other, he like, she was like, hi, I'm blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, blah, blah, blah. yeah, I don't know. It, was just, it wasn't, um, just wasn't really like a spark and honestly like honestly like I mean he's attractive but he wasn't like as attractive as I had like built him up in my mind to be like there was conversation but there were kind of awkward pauses a lot where we didn't say anything and that's probably maybe just because I was out of breath but I think in the past I've kind of like tried to I mean just like you know being in comedy and doing and you know and PR is my day job and I think this kind of stems from that too is like I feel like I need to like 
fill up those holes and like entertain and almost perform and I was like I don't really feel like doing this I don't know like I was kind of like let him carry the conversation a little bit more he also started a sentence with one time I was hiking a volcano in Guatemala and I was yeah you guys did not have uh matched visions on what this hike was going to be that's clear I was like I literally just responded casual he starts a sentence like that i i am also an avid hiker so uh i do appreciate that i hiked the inca trail to machu picchu in peru okay so you don't think that was like a braggy thing to say though i i mean if it is a braggy thing that i've bragged so (laughs) okay well maybe i should have been a little bit more i don't know i guess i was kind of like he has his own house here and he has like a really good job and i feel like he's kind of like already full of himself Mm. So maybe that was my preconception going in and I'm just so like, if I had like agreed to this hike with you and you came in on like cute shoes with on a paved road I like I am the friend I hiked Los Leones with my friend hey Devin um and she was like a d1 water polo player at USC and could not get it like further on Los Leones to complete it and I was like Devin come on like you got to figure this out like we need to get up here. Like, let's get going. She didn't even bring like a full container of water. She was like drinking my water, like thought this was going to be easy. So I have no sympathy for um, bow hikers, if you will. I'm not, a, I, I'm not outdoorsy. You know, you say you're going to go for a hike and you were going to go for like a little walk in the park. Well, yeah. I mean, I didn't even want to do the hike, but that's like, was the only thing, like what else are we supposed to do right now? Like I said, Runyon was the move based on location. I mean, I think we need to be clear on like the hiking qualifications here. Well, I think moral of the story is I'm glad I did it, but he wasn't as great in real life as I thought. You built him up in your head. Well, at least I got it out of my system though, you know, because I think I always would have wondered. So we're excited to welcome Matt Pfeiffer to the podcast. Um, I found him on TikTok and he does an amazing job of kind of explaining the different counseling methods that he uses on TikTok. He talks about traits in narcissistic behavior that he can point out and yeah it's very interesting I'm I'm sure he's probably gotten some new clients from his TikTok videos because they break it down in a really good way that I'm sure we'll hear more from him on but awesome let's talk to Matt all right we're so excited to welcome Matt Pfeiffer to the podcast today thanks for joining us Matt thanks for having me of course So Matt has a degree in clinical mental health counseling. He has his own coaching practice and you specialize in toxic relationships. Is that right? That's right. And we found you actually on TikTok. You're now TikTok famous, I believe. I'm not even sure what level. I mean, I have over 100,000 followers. I guess that that's what that means to be TikTok famous (laughs) famous at this point. I would say so. It's way more than I have. I think I have about eight now. So you're doing way better than me. <laughs> but I think that's been a great way for you to get out, you know, what you kind of specialize in, if you want to kind of go more into that and the toxic relationships that you counsel people on. Yeah, I uh, talk to people and I, I help people in very difficult. Um, so we, when we talk about toxic relationships, a lot of my TikTok videos are talking about uh, narcissistic relationships. So relationships that are very uh, abusive does not have to be physically abusive. Most of my clients are actually not physically abused. It's more mentally and emotional abuse. So um, bruises and wounds that most people don't see. Um, people who are highly controlling and, and, and most of the people that I work with are out of the relationship. And what they find out is that even though they've left the relationship, they're still dealing with the residual effects of the drama and the trauma from the relationship. Because even though you left the uh, narcissistic person, 
they don't, they still don't want to let go of the control and they actually continue the abuse after you've left. It's called post discard abuse. So we, you have an ex, you have, uh, you have someone that you, you're trying to co-parent with and they use children as manipulation. They use children as weapons. Uh, even if you don't have children, a lot of times they will still, um, use a lot of manipulative and, uh, toxic tax, tax, tactics after you're, you've, um, you've left the relationship. So, uh, the whole, the whole theory of we'll just leave. A lot of people do just leave and the abuse continues after, after the fact. And what inspired you to specialize in that facet in particular? Kind of grew. Um, so I went to, I went to school to become a, a therapist, obviously. Um, right out of school, my first job and, and just like anyone else, when you, um, when you're applying for jobs, the, you take the first job you can get. And so the internship I, I had uh, offered me a job before I was even finished. And that was, um, that was actually, I was, I started out as a, a substance abuse therapist. So I was dealing with people that were struggling with addictions. Um, but I always wanted to become, to work with people struggling with relationships. I wanted to avoid addictions like the plague coming out of school. Um, I did not want to deal with it whatsoever. What I found out was that not only was I really good at it, but it was actually the same part of the brain that dealt with toxic relationships. And so it actually enhanced everything that I did more than it did hinder. Um, so a lot of the work that I do um, coincides with the things that I've learned and dealt with with addictions. In particular, people who struggle with narcissistic um, personality disorders and people who are in a narcissistic relationship uh, it's very similar and it has a lot of uh, parallels to someone who uh, struggles with uh, a heroin addiction. So a lot of the work that I do coincides with the type of work that I did when I was in addictions and it's the same part of the brain and it actually is the reason why a lot of people struggle with leaving these type of relationships because they're addicted. You know, it's, yeah. it's something that not a lot of people talk about, um, but, it, but it's, it's reality, it's the fact. People who I deal with oftentimes are dealing with uh, physical withdrawal symptoms, the same way that someone who, who is struggling with heroin addiction would be. And uh, so it gets really deep. Once people start to, or I call the blinders start to come off. Once people start to realize this and they start to see it, it makes it, I wouldn't say easier, but it's a lot more accepted to be able to leave the relationship and um, get out of it and, and to put in the work to be able to leave or recover because a lot of a lot of I should say recover because a lot of the work I do is more recovery than it is actually leaving the relationship. And how are you able to identify narcissistic behavior? Like, what are some of the common characteristics? Common character. So, uh, what's interesting is that the the characteristics. We all have a level of narcissism. The grandiose attitude, the, the sense of entitlement, the, you know, we can all identify people who have some narcissistic qualities. What I actually look for is actually the residual effects of what's happening in the, in the actual victim. Uh, so what I'm looking for is uh, cognitive dissonance. Uh, so what, what cognitive dissonance is, is, is that you have a certain belief and you, a belief system and a behavior that don't match. So if you were to look at someone who has um, who feels that relationships are important, right, and that you should stay in a relationship that is that's healthy, right? They have that that belief, but they stay they're staying in something that is toxic. 
right? I, so you, you'll see that, you'll see that walking on eggshells feeling. So I'm more looking, looking at the victim. And here's the reason why. The actual title and the actual diagnosis of uh, narcissism really doesn't matter when it really comes down to it. If someone's being a jerk, if someone is mistreating you, if someone's being abusive, it doesn't matter. You should get out of the relationship. A lot of times when people are in a toxic or an abusive relationship, they spend days, weeks, months, and even years trying to figure out if this person is narcissistic, this person is a sociopath, and there's so many other levels to it. I, I say narcissism a lot, but the reason why I actually look at toxicity level right, is because they could be a psychopath, they could be a sociopath. There's a lot of other things on the narcissistic spectrum that, um, that it could be. And, and instead of looking at the title, let's just look at the behavior. Am I being treated right? Is this person physically abusive? Are they financially abusive? Are they trying to control me? Do I feel like I'm able to leave this relationship without this person um, trying to cause harm to me, trying to cause harm to my children? You know, that's what it really boils down to. So when we look at the behavior, are they being abusive, right? Do I feel free to be able to come and go as I please? Can I talk to my family? Do I have access to the things that I need to do, right? Or, um, you know, is, does, is this person continuously gaslighting me? Are they continuously trying to change the narrative? Am I being manipulated? Um, you know, those are the behaviors that, that we need to look at. And we can forget the title, right? And, and if you look up narcissism, right, it's actually very, it's, it's not a common diagnosis. And that's part of the reason why I tell people Let's not look at the title um, because the first thing that people want to do is once they find out that the person is narcissistic is they'll try to convince, well, let's get him into therapy and let's, let's try to help him. It's not going to help, right? And so let's just look at the behavior. Let's get the work for the victim and uh, that needs to be done and, and let's go from there. Let's simplify this extremely complicated dynamic absolutely and work for the victim when you talk about that you know i've read before that you know narcissists kind of target like certain attachment styles or certain types of personalities so could you kind of speak about that and if you see kind of like a pattern amongst people that are kind of victims of this type of behavior i think the the myth is that they select people with low self-esteem who you know that um and it's quite often the opposite. They actually want someone who has the perception, because keep in mind that narcissists only want to spend time with certain types of people. They only want to spend time with people who uh, have a certain image, have a certain look. However, on the back end of it, someone who has a lot of codependent issues, who have a lot of uh, people-pleasing tendencies, those are the people that uh, they select as their victims. And I do like to say that they do like to select their victims. It's not so much about that it just so happened that we just met. Um, they selected you as their victim because they knew that they could get away with their bad behavior. And so what happens is that uh, when you meet someone who has these narcissistic qualities, uh, who have these traits, in the beginning, it, it's great. A lot, all of, oftentimes you'll hear people say, I feel like this person is my soulmate. Um, you'll, you can, you can spot these people on, on social media a mile away. Like they, they just met and it seems like they're so in love and I get it. Um, everyone in the beginning, what the, you know, the beginning love phase is the honeymoon phase is, is great. However, when we're talking about someone who's narcissistic, oftentimes the, the pace of the relationship goes extremely fast. You know, they, you know, both people say like, I never thought I'd find anyone like this, uh, and, if I, if I were going to draw the parallel 
between the addiction and uh, someone who is narcissistic or, or a narcissistic relationship. When you talk to someone who struggled with a heroin addiction, what they will say is that the first time that they ever used, it was the most euphoric feeling that they've ever felt in their life, right? And it's very much the same when you meet someone who is narcissistic is that you feel like this is the person that like, I, like I've always thought about Prince Charming. Like, I can't believe, like, what did I do to deserve someone so special? I can't believe, uh, and it's called, in that beginning stage, it's called the idealization phase and they're putting you on a pedestal and you feel like you're just walking on cloud nine and, and this person is like the most amazing person that I've ever met, met before. Like, I can't believe that someone would treat me so well and it's all a manipulation. Eventually it switches from the idealization to what's called the devaluation where that is where all of the, uh, and you, you, and so I say idealization, but most people, that's the clinical term. And if you're looking this up and if you're following other coaches, they say the love bomb phase where they're just loving you all, all the time, all the attention, can't get off the phone. What happens though during that time is that they're actually noticing that you have a tough time setting boundaries, setting and enforcing boundaries that you never say no. Right? Every time they want to hang out, you want to hang out. Every time, uh, and if they, if you, even if you do set a boundary, let's say that you say something like, "I need to get to bed early tonight because I got to be at work." They notice that every time that you may say something like that, they can push on that boundary, and you still allow allow for it. So you still hang out. You still cave to whatever demands that they that they have. Um, and little subtle differences make a big difference when we're talking about this relationship long term. So when when you switch from the idealization to the devaluation phase, you start to notice that this person starts to change, that they start to talk to you differently. They start to now begin to devalue you. It may turn into physical uh, abuse, but definitely the mental and emotional abuse starts to show up. Where it gets tricky is that you as the codependent and people pleaser, right? You as, the, as the, now the victim, you see these little slight digs as this is my fault, right? And this is where it really starts to get dangerous, is that you don't see this as their bad behavior. You start to justify this, and you and they will make it make you feel like it's your fault. They'll say things like, "Well, I wouldn't talk to you like that if you wouldn't act this way." You know, you pushed me to to hit you because you said this, or they, they will justify their behavior. And where the idealization, what happens is because they put you on a pedestal for so long, right? And they were the one. They were perfect in your mind someone so perfect could not treat me like this unless i did do something wrong right and so uh now we're starting to spiral into this into this web right and now in this devaluation phase they show you little hints of the idealization phase right little hints of the love bomb right just enough right to make you to keep you around because if they were bad all the time no one would understand that right but they give you little hints to let you know uh, that that still exists. And so you're still constantly working to get it back to the idealization phase, but it never gets there. They keep it in the, in the devaluation phase. They continue the abuse day in and day out, but they give you little hints of it, right? Go, and, and we go back to that parallel of the, of the addiction. People who, are, who struggle with the heroin addiction they're trying to get back to that euphoric feeling, right? They'll continue to use, they will continue, they will increase their use, they will, you know, trying to get back to that euphoric feeling, and it never happens, right? The same way in this, in, uh, with a narcissistically abusive relationship, they will never get back to the idealization phase. 
they wanted it to be the, in, in the devaluation phase the entire time. That was a part of the entire manipulation. Oh, I just totally relate to the people pleaser facet of everything you were talking about. Um, but I'm just curious, have you ever had the narcissist in the relationship come in as a client? Oh, yeah. They, they don't stay. Piggybacking off of that, like, everything you're saying and kind of, like, everything I've read about it as well, like, it seems very, I guess, perspective prescriptive is the word like do they know that they're doing like they know that they're doing the, all of these things or is it just kind of like ingrained in their behavior or you know what I mean but are you if they are coming in as a client do you call it out yeah oh uh, so when I when I say they come in as a client they're not coming in as a narcissist they're coming in trying to pretend like they're the victim to try to manipulate the uh the other person they're saying like oh I'm seeing a therapist so like they're trying to use me and use our sessions as a tactic to man manipulate the victim back into the relationship. It doesn't, it, and they, and they, so therapy with a narcissist will not work because they're using it as a manipulation tactic. Uh, so when they come to see me, uh, I, I call it out very subtly. I don't directly say it to say it, but everything that I do, you know, I'm holding you and your hands to the fire. And so when when a narcissist comes in and they're and I'm holding their hands to the fire, you, either they'll cancel the appointment close to immediately, they won't finish the, the court session, or they won't come back after the court session. Uh, a lot of times, they even in the consultation because I do a consultation before we even get there. They they might schedule, but then they, they just won't come back. But oftentimes I'll, I'll pick up on it because they make it all about trying to get the other person back, right? And keep in mind that what I do is I, I help people recover from a toxic or narcissistically abusive relationship. So everything I do is it's all about you and uh, self-care and self-love and those sorts of things. I can start, and, and oftentimes I'll be able to hear from the victim that cognitive dissonance that I was telling you about. When it's someone who's narcissistic, and, and it's, unless you know what you're, unless you've been in this, in this realm, sometimes it's hard to tell who's the narcissist and who is not. The person who is narcissistic will, will oftentimes, you start to, they, they make it all about the victim, right? It's almost like this obsession with getting them back. It, it just, it just doesn't go well for them. That's interesting. That's a good way to like spot them, I guess, is that's like the main indicator of if One they are. One of the things that is that it, when you leave a narcissist, one of the reasons why it's so tough for the victim, there's like this obsession. It's called hoovering. Absolute obsession, right? They will call like literally hundreds of times within like you know, over the course of several hours. They will stalk you. They will call your friends. They will call your family. They are relentless to get you back. Because going back to that whole addiction, the narcissist is also addicted to you. It's called narcissistic supply. So that abuse that they're doing, you're getting like a thrill. They're getting like a fix off of it. And so once you leave, they are trying to get you back to try to, to try to continue that fix. And they and they are relentless about trying to get you back. It's um, you know, when you hear some of the stories, the, the phone calls, like literally 500 phone calls within the, within over the span of a few hours, and calling friends, stalking, showing up to people's uh, houses and just absolutely relentless. And it makes it, it, it gets to a point that even if the victim, even if, or showing, going, going to therapy, right. To show you that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm in, but then once you go back, they don't continue the therapy. 
it was all just a, a, a ploy and manipulation. I, I found God. I'm going to go to church now. Doing everything, you know, all of a sudden they want to do everything that, that you asked them to do in the beginning. And it's all just a manipulation. And, and then once you do get back, it goes right back to the devaluation phase. And the problem is that when you go back, if you go back, it's worse. Because now they know that, the, that you actually leaving is a possibility. They will make it even more difficult for you to leave by either if you're a woman getting you pregnant, um, they will marry you. They will combine finances, and then when, when you know, I've, I've heard story, multiple stories of um, people like if, if let's say you're running a few minutes late coming home from work, they'll completely wipe the bank account clean because they think that you're leaving. Um, it's you know these are horrific stories, and a lot, a lot of a lot of people who are victims don't like telling these stories because guess what? You sold your family and friends on this idealization phase. They think you have the perfect uh, the, the perfect relationship. Most of the relationships. That I'm talking about, you would not suspect abuse, right? Mm-hmm. You, you think that every it, it, you would be completely shocked at the people who are going through this. It's uh, you know, it's probably the people that you think the power couple, the people that you think uh, have the perfect image, the perfect family, the one that you that you also idealize on Facebook. Perfect kids, the perfect home, usually has some sort of issue behind. Through your work and expertise on this, you're able to identify a narcissist as early as the consultation phase. For sure. Incredible. Here's here's the big thing. Like if in a healthy relationship, um, and you go through a natural breakup, you still feel free, right? You're not you're not experiencing these uh, crazy calls and this and that and this rush and this, uh, I mean, every, all breakups are tough. When you're going through a, a breakup with a narcissist, it's completely different. And so I encourage no contact, right? It's, it's really, uh, it's really the only way. So going back to the whole, I, you know, the, the addiction thing, if you are someone who's recovering from an addiction, I used to teach people, your people, places and things have to change. You can't hang out with the same people anymore. You can't, you know, obviously, hang out with your your old users and this and that. Um, to it, it, you can't. The, the, what I tell people when I teach is that you can't heal in the same place that you got sick, right? So, it, it, looking at that, you have to go no contact. And as relentless as they are, you have to stick with them. I don't care how many times they call, how many times, because here's one of the biggest things about about narcissists. And I do, I actually do a lot of uh, dating coaching as well to you know especially for people who have been through a narcissistic relationship because you've been through one you the, the chances of you going through another are very high and so one of the things that i teach people in the beginning phases in in that dating phase is to set and enforce boundaries very early because i don't care what phase you're in if you're in the idealization phase the evaluation phase or even after one thing that narcissists don't like is boundaries and they will push in those boundaries as hard as they possibly can. And I don't, once again, I don't care how. And so that's how you'll discover a narcissist in the beginning. Going back to the whole breakup, going no contact, they will not respect no contact until they realize that no matter what, you're not answering that phone, you're not answering that text, no matter what. You know, I don't care if you're contacting my family, I don't care if you're showing up to my job, I'm not caving to these demands, period. And eventually, it gets to a point that that narcissistic supply, so their their version of the drug, ends up drying up. Right? Well, they got to find something else, and quite often they already have something lined up anyway, and so so they don't move on to 
the next victim. Now, I do want to say that even if they even if they have found somebody else, they will still come back to you, right? So you have to set this no contact, and it just has to be something that. And 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 for keep in mind, this is part of the issue. This is the reason why like this cycle is so tough. You're a people pleaser if you're the victim, right? You don't like it when someone's angry with you. You feel the sense of urgency to answer the phone. So it it goes like counterintuitive to what what you already believe your your belief system to be, right? You don't want them to be angry with you. You don't like it. It's uncomfortable for you to to have someone upset with you. Right. And so uh, it's it's interesting. I'll just say that. We talked a little bit about um, your platform on TikTok and how you've been able to use TikTok to connect with more people and widen your audience. Could you touch on how you've been able to use that? I absolutely love TikTok. Number one, it's fun. What I like about it is that because um, I, I am and I have been on a lot of other platforms before, um, but narcissism is as you can probably tell by this, it's so deep. And so, I mean, I could literally talk for days about it. You know, I have a podcast I have, and you hear me talk about these things, but what TikTok has really done for me is I'm able to actually illustrate what's happening, right? So people can relate to it. So I, so I do a lot of skits when people see and hear the skits it's like all, all of a sudden the light bulbs go off and they're like, Oh my God, that's exactly what I'm dealing with. Right. And it may, it starts to make sense. When, and then, you know, so with the skit, it breaks it down. And then, you know, people are able to contact me like, you know, can you tell me more about divorcing a narcissist? Because I feel like that's what's happening because none of this is making sense. There's a lot of confusion when you're in it. You know, I, I tell people all the time when you're in the room, when you're, when you're in the relationship, it's just like being in a room. If you're in a room and the room starts to stink, you don't notice it because you get used to the smell. Right. Well, if you step out of the room and you walk back into the room, you start to notice that that room stinks. And so illustrating, doing these illustrations, doing these skits helps you walk into that room like, oh, my God, this room stinks. Right. And so then you realize that, OK, we, we have an issue here. And this guy talks a lot about narcissism. He talks about a lot about toxic relationships and everything that he's talking about lines up with everything I'm dealing with. This is now, this once was confusing, but this is now starting to make sense. Because here's the, here's, the, here's, the, here's the other thing about narcissism is that in, in part of the reason why it's so confusing, everyone else loves it, right? The only person who sees these issues are you, right? So uh, quite often the narcissist is highly successful. A lot, a lot of times they're lawyers. A lot of times they are, um, if they're a covert narcissist, they could be a teacher. They could be like a pastor. Um, I mean, and so... Because they're very self, and they're very conscious of their self-image. Uh, so, to the general public, they could be great, right? They could, everyone else could love them, and behind closed doors, they could be a complete monster. So that makes it even more confusing. And and, and going back to how they make it seem as though it's you, that goes back to that that makes that narrative even more strong. That everyone else loves them except for me. This has to be my problem. So let me try to fix. And then it spirals again into let me work even harder to get it to the idealization phase, which now falls into the narcissist's hands even more. Okay. So we have a letter from someone who's kind of experiencing toxic behavior in the beginning of her relationship. She's kind of just started dating this guy. Um, so we're interested to see what you think about this. So the letter says, Dear Damsels, I've recently started dating a really hot guy that I met on a dating app. 
We only went on a few dates and he was already ready to be exclusive with me, which I was extremely excited about as I've only been used to dating guys that say they aren't ready for a relationship. I've been having a really fun time with him, but there's only one problem. None of my friends seem to really like him. They say that he's braggy and I do agree that he can be a little showboaty when we're around them, but I just see it as him trying to win their approval and make them like him. When he's with me, he's pretty vulnerable about his insecurities and has opened up really quickly. He even expressed some jealousy over a guy friend of mine who I've clarified is definitely just a friend, but it shows me that at least he cares about our exclusivity. When I express my concerns about my friends to him, he says that they are just jealous of what we have as most of them are single. I don't want to lose my friends and I don't want to lose him either. Wish they would all just get along. Any advice on how to remedy this situation? Sincerely, old friends versus new flame. So very interested to hear what you have to say about that. I don't know if you have any initial thoughts. My thoughts are drop them and drop them fast. Period. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to cut you off like after like sentence two. I hear a lot, a lot of toxic tendencies, a lot of uh, toxic uh, narcissistic uh, tendencies. Uh, The fact that he wants to rush into this, just that alone. People who want to rush into a relationship are um, likely to rush out of that same relationship. So I would drop this guy fast. The fact that your friends don't like him uh, is a huge, huge red flag. Even if, let's pretend for a second that um, he... Like that he's not a narcissist or anything like that, which he is. Um, just the fact of just him bragging, the whole him saying that everyone else is jealous of us, that's, a, that's another a very common narcissistic trait for them to convince you that the reason why everyone else, and that's how they isolate you, right? And when your family calls them out, like, oh, they're just jealous of us, let's go, right? And then it gets to the point where you start to push your, because that's one of the things that narcissists do to, to continue the abuse or even start the abuse is they start to push away your friends and families, the, the ones that, they will accept the ones that accept them, but they will push away the ones that call them out and really you know, see through their stuff. So you know, I'm seeing and hearing a lot of things, but even just even if we, even if we just boil this down to the fact that he's rushing into the relationship, um, like I said, if he's rushing into the relationship, he's going to rush right out of the relationship, and I, will, I wouldn't do this. Yeah, in terms of like you know millennials and Gen Z like that are dating, and you know she said. I've, I'm used to dating people that don't want a relationship. I feel like that's probably hard when you have someone there that like, you know, seems to really care about you, but are you kind of seeing these behaviors like more so like in those types of generations or is it kind of just across the board? It's across the board. Narcissism and toxic behavior, they've lasted since the beginning of time. You know, my oldest um, client was in her sixties and was married to someone for uh, over 40 years and had on the surface that the ideal marriage, everyone, you know, celebrated uh, their marriage every year. So, uh, and, and my youngest person, I think was in her like early twenties, you know, so um, it, it spans all across the board. It's not a Gen Z thing, even though most of my clients are definitely Gen Z or millennials, it, it spans all across the board. Interesting. And do you feel like social media kind of plays a different role in those younger clients and like, you know, you were saying, you know, kind of boasting on social media about relationships and things like that. Like, what kind of roles do you see social media playing in these relationships? Social media plays a role of trying to keep up with with one another, thinking that the problem with social, I love social media, I'm all, all over social media, but the problem is that it gives you a false perception of, of what reality actually is. Most 
even the healthiest relationships have some great qualities and have some toxic qualities, right? Have some not so great qualities. However, even the most healthy relationships, when they put a picture on social media, they're putting their highlights on there. And so <clears throat> people who struggle in toxic relationships might and may not know, may not be able to identify what a healthy relationship is because of their, you know, we, I haven't had a chance to talk about like how childhood impacts your, your relationships or anything like that. But if you're someone who can't even identify what a, a healthy relationship looks like, you would look at something like that on social media and look at everyone's highlights and think that's how everything's supposed to be all the time. But guess what? That plays really well into what a narcissist fantasy is, that, that everything should be good all the time. However, social media also gives you a lot of information. So you can also see someone like myself, other coaches, other, you know, other people. So there's, there's a balance there. I think if anything, I would encourage people to realize that, um, what you see on social media isn't isn't all what it's cracked up to be, and that you know we ha we still have a real life that we have to live, and it's not you know it's some, there's days that it's going to be the, the highlights, and there's days that it's not going to be so great. I think it's so important what you said about um, when your friends don't like him, it's a red flag, because um, you know I've been the friend, and I've also had so many friends who I feel like it's you don't want to believe them because you like the person so much and it's just so hard but you always have to remember that your friends have an unbiased perspective looking at this and they only want your well-being and they're not a good friend if they don't right right i mean so, so, i mean and it's one thing if like one person doesn't like him before, and, and, and it also depends it's like that one person is like oh i think you could do better you know, or one person is like, uh, you know, uh, he or she's a little chubby or like just they have something that's like surface level like that. It, yeah. Unless it has some substance to it. Like this has some substance to it. They don't like his the nature of who he is. Right. There, there's some substance to that. If someone's like, I don't really like the way he walks or he kind of talks funny. Like that's, you know, that's that's surface level. Who cares? Like you can get past that. Right, no one's perfect, and and I, you know, I think we all, I think we all kind of know that. But when they have some substance behind it, like he gives me, he gives me the creeps. I don't. When we talk about how he, how he makes you feel, right? I don't feel right about this, right? We gotta. One of the things that I talk to a lot of people about early on is uh, your intuition, right? A lot of people. Here's the thing about it. Here's what's interesting is that when I talk to people who have been in a, in a narcissistically abusive relationship, I bring them back to that idealization phase. And as great as it was in the beginning, usually there's a moment or two that they realize that as perfect as this is, something's off. And they, and they it, something lets them know in their gut that something's off. Here's where the whole codependent and people-pleasing thing comes in, is that then they go to outside validation. They look to the person that they're with for validation they look to friends, they look to family members for validation. You already know. Oftentimes you already know, but because you you need other people to tell you what to do, you continue, right? And so um, so it, it, it gets it gets pretty deep and, and often and when I when we talk about that and we discover that and you realize that you're putting the needs and you're putting the opinions of other people first, now we really start digging into childhood. Where did that start? Okay. Well, I know that we're running out of time and I want to give you time to plug all your stuff. So if you want to take a minute to do that and tell people where they can find you, that'd be great. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm most active on TikTok um, at Matt Pfeiffer Coaching. I'm also on Instagram at Matt Pfeiffer Coaching. Uh, I have a podcast as well. It's called The Toxic to Triumph. 
Um, that's on all major platforms, um, Spotify, Pandora, uh, iHeartRadio, and Apple Podcasts. Uh, YouTube, Matt Pfeiffer Coaching, Twitter, uh, Matt Pfeiffer Coach, and Facebook, um, Matt Pfeiffer Coaching. And you can find me on LinkedIn, too. So if you struggle in a uh, workplace environment, toxic workplace environment, then LinkedIn is a good place, good resource for you. Well, this was amazing. Thank you so much, Matt. We learned so much. Yeah. Thank you, thank you for having me. This is fun. Oh, man. When he said that he does dating counseling, I was just like, our listeners are going to be hitting up that man in his DMs for some counseling. As they should. I mean, he just explained so many things. I felt like we could have talked to him for a really long time, unfortunately. Really? But um, you guys should definitely check out his TikToks and his podcasts and everything that he mentioned because. I think it's something a lot of people can relate to. And that's what was interesting for me and why I asked, you know, if right now in dating culture, he's seeing a lot of that. But something that was interesting that he said was that anyone can be a narcissist. Do you know what's so funny is that when he said that, I was thinking about how I don't know that I've ever dated a narcissist. Yeah. I don't know. I've also been dating Brian for five years. So maybe I have like distorted memory. Maybe I've definitely dated people. I don't know if they can classify as narcissists as he said that's not super important but I've definitely spotted narcissistic tendencies in several of the guys I've dated so what's your narcissistic tendency Chloe if we're all narcissists um what would I be a narcissist about something I'm good at I think um I'm funny Mm, I know mine you ready yes hiking just kidding hiking and therefore judging people that are not good hikers It was a beautiful conversation. I mean, I'm just really impressed that you found him. Um, Yeah, and I'm still TikTok hesitant, but the more and more I see the practical uses of TikTok, I'm slowly getting convinced. So, you guys should follow us on TikTok. We're at Damsels in the DMs. Shout out to Lola, who is our marketing manager and TikTok resident expert and Instagram resident expert. We love you, Lola. Yes. So I think this is a good time to remind people that you can write us letters and you can send them to us almost anywhere. You can DM us at damsels in the DMs on Instagram. You can send them via Gmail, damsels in the DMs at Gmail. Um, you can basically find us anywhere at damsels in the DMs. And we'd love to hear from you guys. I think the letters really spark the topics that we talk about. So if there's something that going on in your life that you'd like us to talk about or have a guest on please write us all right guys thanks for tuning in we'll see you next week it's going down the dms bye thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.